You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. thing and that one thing is it's time for david's pick and uh you're listening to america's web radio and we have a gentleman on today that uh you know i make it quite clear i they they have tagged me as the vietnam veteran era and uh i was in during vietnam but i did not go in country i was I was, uh, I'm the arrow, and that's, I think they, they meant to spell it E-R-A, but I'm, I think they spell it E-R-R-O-R, and, uh, anyway, we have someone that did go in country, and, uh, unfortunately, he, uh, stayed at the Hilton, and that's not the Hilton as we know it in the States, it's the Hanoi Hilton, and, uh, we have Captain William A. Robinson, U.S. Air Force, retired. Uh, Bill, it's great to have you on America's Web Radio, and uh, we'll be talking to you about your experiences in the good part of Vietnam and the bad part of Vietnam. And welcome to America's Web Radio. Thank you. Honored to be here. Well, we're honored to have you, and uh, I just... You spent seven years, seven and a half years in the Hanoi Hilton, and that's just uh, absolutely amazing to me. That uh, uh, I, there's no way that I can imagine uh, what you went through and and the time that you uh, you got out in seventy three. Well, the important part it was only one day at a time. So I always that I was there for three days. Yesterday I was shot down, today's today, and tomorrow I'm going to the house. So they got me one day to stay mentally and physically sound so that I could be a productive member of society when I return. So, yes, it's, it's frightening when you say 2,703 days, but uh, when you say one day at a time, you know, you just you just keep one foot in front of the other. You know, that's... Uh That's just absolutely amazing. Uh, and who did you go in with that philosophy, or did uh, did someone uh, in in the Hilton say this is the way you have to do it to make it? No, I, I think I you know like that. I was a born optimist, so you know that uh, you know, my glass has always been half full. You know, it's yeah. never been partially empty in any way. You know, and. Uh, and I, I guess that, uh, you know, in in our stay there, some guys adapted a one-year stay, and some people adapted a three-month stay, and I just chose to only stay three days. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess that's one of those that uh, you come back and say, well, whatever works for you, you know. Well, and, that, uh, that's, that's true, you know. I, like I said, that... Uh, 
you know, you're just, you, you find something that works for you, you know, and, uh, and uh, um, we, we both, we all have what we simply refer to as our four faiths, and that's the faith in ourselves, uh, faith in each other, faith in country, and faith in God above. So, you know, with those four faiths working with you, you're, we can, anything is possible. Okay, you you join. And by the way, we have something in uh, sort of in common. Uh, my son's in the Air Force, uh, stationed oh, okay. in uh, Germany, and uh, he's an officer in Intel. And uh, he he won't tell me a thing about what he does. I don't know. I don't understand <laughs> that. I had Looks a, like a friend of mine. His, his son-in-law told him, "said Dad, if I told you, I'd have to kill you." Yeah, well, he's a. Uh, <laughs> He's done basically the same for me, so uh, or, or said the same, and uh, so I don't press him. I just go along, and uh, I, every now and then I have to remind him. Look, I had a all of a secret clearance. Doesn't that count for something? And he said, "Well, not really." So, <laughs> and, uh, the need to know takes over all of them. You just. You have the qualifications, but you don't have the need to know. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, and I tell you what, it has changed so much since I was in uh, many, many, many years ago. I was there when they were still using the flintlocks. But uh, anyway, back, let's get back to your story. When you graduated from high school, joined the Air Force, and did you have any idea or any thoughts about what if or and and how did you go from high school to um, you were fly, uh, flying uh, helicopters right or no yeah, I was I'm a crew sorry. chief on crew board chief. helicopter oh okay I was an E4 when I was shot down at that time they called it airman first class now they call it senior airman and uh, I stayed long enough to make master and for E7 I had a line number for E8 and uh when I came home, I was offered a presidential appointment, and, uh, well, I went through OTS while I was in the prison camp, and, uh, you know, I was commissioned by those in the prison camp, and, of course, uh, when I got back, the Air Force says, well, that was a nice exercise, but don't don't look forward to it, and, uh, and I've always felt quite honored that General Friend, a senior ranking officer, uh, with, with a pocket full of nose, he walked into the president's office and... Uh, and I, I guess for three enlisted guys we were held up in North Vietnam that uh, it, was, it was lucky for us that President Nixon needed a positive story at that moment in his life, and he just turned to the all those folks who had turned it down and says, this is a good idea. <laughs> 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 and uh, and we, uh, the three of us, uh, myself, Neil Black, and Art Cormier, were commissioned as second lieutenants on April the ninth, nineteen seventy-three, upon our return from Vietnam. Wow, you know, and again, whatever works, and uh, that doesn't make you any less of a lieutenant than uh, the person that goes through ROTC and uh, comes out and is a second lieutenant. So, you know, <laughs> no, I, I jokingly say sometimes we we took notes on the back of a shovel. You know. <laughs> Well, you know, as a grunt myself, I was eleven Bravo in in the uh, in the military, and as a grunt, uh, an officer is an officer, no matter what. And uh, we, uh, I certainly respect you and what you did, and 
my goodness, uh, you you received uh, Silver Star, um, Legion of Merit, Bronze Star, POW Medal, two Purple Hearts, along with uh, 17 other awards and decorations. Right. My goodness, you must have one hell of a chest. <laughs> well, you know, like, like I said, the most important one, I guess, was the Air Force Cross, which is second to the Medal of Honor, so, you know... Uh, I'm kind of like uh, um, I have a friend that's a Medal of Honor recipient uh, that was, and we were soldiers, Bruce Crandall, and uh, I was talking to him one day, and, and we were looking at, I guess we, you might say we'd be comparing chest, and of course he's got a Medal of Honor around his neck, and and he, he looked at mine, and he looked at his, and he pointed at him, and he said, you know, all these on this side, somebody else made the decision and he lifted up his lapel and he proudly displayed a good conduct record. He said, now I earned that one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I... You know, like like I said, that's, you know, so when you get right down to the ones you personally earned and basically good conduct rhythm, the rest of them is somebody else made that decision, you know. Well... From looking at it from afar or close up, either one. And I was honored to... uh, Honored, as Jeremiah Denton said in 1973, it was an honor to serve our country in the most difficult circumstances. No question about it, and uh, we're going through some of those circumstances now, in a, in a way. But uh, Vietnam was definitely, uh, uh, you know, it was just incredible the the attitude of the public, and uh, I think it. Uh, it was a reflection on our leadership in many cases, or lack thereof, and uh, we also had some very greedy people in the White House at the time that uh, made a lot of money off of Vietnam, which is a sad oh, yeah. scenario. Well, but you know, it's, Vietnam, you know, it's it's. Uh, I go back to my training. One is that you know I was raised by a World War II veteran and family members that World War II veterans and. I was reminded from day one when I was old enough to understand that someday I would be called to come to serve my country. Not necessarily in a combat situation, but I would be. it would be my responsibility to, uh, sometime in my life to preserve the freedoms that we enjoy today. And, and uh, not knowing what time I knew that uh, sometime I would be called upon, I would volunteer to, to wear this uniform of my, my country. And by volunteering, I was able to pick out the branch of service I wanted to go into, you know. I had experience just like many young men at that particular time, and you walked into a place of business and asked for consideration for employment. They said, first thing they would ask you, have you got your military obligation over it? And when you say no, they say, well, come back and talk to us when you get that taken care of. They didn't care whether you were 4F or what, but they didn't want to invest in you until you had filled that square. But then we did away with that and and now is uh you know and uh, we they now have a generation that thinks that uh, this was uh, um, a silver platter that uh, that uh, they didn't they were handed and uh, they did feel no obligation to protect it or defend it in any manner uh, it's sad in that way but i'm very proud of those who choose to you know as i say sometimes when i'm speaking that you know uh, when they talk about the top one percent, I'm talking about the men and women wearing the uniform today. Oh yeah, and you know, and, and I, I 
cringe and I get very sad when I think that uh, today only 1% of the population serve in any capacity. And, uh, you know, we have a great, we have the best country in the world, and everybody should serve their country in some shape, form, or fashion. And just an appreciation of being born in the United States. I mean, that. Anyway, I don't want to get on my soapbox. Right, I could go yeah, on for like weeks. I've been thinking here the last couple of days when I was thinking about doing this, and I'm just saying, you know, uh, we, we have people that take it to the streets that don't like America, but I don't see any of them leaving. No. Uh, you know, we have more people trying to come into the United States and are, are leaving. So, you know, that should in itself tell you something that uh, maybe these people are on the wrong track. Well, I th- I think uh, these people, for the most part, uh, you see the you see their palms, and they want something for nothing, and uh, they're not willing to give anything, and they don't know what they really don't know what they're talking about. If they want to go and find out what socialism is like, and then communism, they can head to Venezuela right quick. And oh yeah, you yeah, know they uh, they, they uh, like I said that. I, I find it difficult to, you know, the Vietnamese tried to force feed us all this stuff, and <laughs> I just couldn't drink the Kool-Aid, and now people are just drinking it freely. You know, it just kind of confuses me. What uh, What was a normal, well, I don't want to use that day, that word, but what was a day like? Uh, and, and do you still go to Jane Fonda movies? <laughs> well, you know. No, our day is basically, I describe my experiences essentially uh, as hours, days, weeks, months, and even years of boredom punctuated by terror. And uh, in that sense, that, uh, you know, when we first got there, they, they uh, started the indoctrination trying to get us to uh, give up, uh, you know, like I said, give half of what we had to somebody else. <laughs> we hmm. figured that wasn't a good idea, you know. Um, but uh, when they when they wanted something, they'd come at us with, with brutal tactics. And, and then there was times that, you know, you, you might uh, go a while without even doing much more than just meeting the turnkey twice a day when he brought you your, your food. But, uh, you know, you never knew. I think the most difficult part of the time was not when you were being tortured, it was when you were uh, next door to someone that was being tortured and you could do nothing. Mm. And, that, and that, that was, you know, you're, all you could do was pray and help him fight his battle, you know. And like I said, you knew if they started torturing one person in the building, they would eventually get around to everybody. And sometimes you might be in room two and... They come in and you're prepared after they finish with room one. And from to come in, they skip skip over you and go to room four, and then you you can't let your guard down because you know they're going to eventually get there. You know, and that's uh, I think the mental anguish, the little games they would play with us. You know, and uh, and they busy uh, really the physical torture. I guess that jokingly you could say you can only take so much and then you pass out. But the mental torture goes on and on and on, you know. And you know, and I uh, 
uh, we had to, that, you know, when we found out you just like these people here today, you can't argue with them because uh, they they have their ears shut and their mouth open, mm-hmm. and uh, and they have no idea to what you're trying to talk about. You know, like I said one time, I they tried to use the enlisted officer thing when I was in the prison camp and interrogated me, and they were telling me that sacrifices the enlisted men were doing, and the officers got all the glory, you know, and they. And they got around to, you know, how much they had that I didn't have and all this stuff. And and, and, and the question in Jerga, he asked, he said, do you own a bicycle? And I said, no. And he, he went and wrapped around and said, he, you don't even make enough to own a bicycle, you know, because of, but you're still fighting the rich man's war, you know. I said, well, I made a mistake and said I owned a car, and they beat the hell out of me. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to take just a very short break, and I want to remind everybody you're listening to David's Pick on America's Web Radio, and we really dedicate this show to a very close friend of mine uh, who is the executive, executive director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and it's in the uh, Floyd Building right across the street from the capital in uh, downtown Atlanta, and we encourage everyone, from, whether you're a citizen of Atlanta or Georgia or just uh, pick Atlanta to come vacation in, and we are a safe city right at the moment, so uh, come on down or come on over and uh, put that on your list that uh, you need to go to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame and just walk through it and if you can bring your kids or your grandkids and explain to them who they're looking at and what they did and how they felt about their country and uh, it will get you and they have uh, indoctrination uh, coming up November the 7th 7 November um, in uh, Columbus, Georgia and I'm sure you'll be there, Bill, and uh, uh, most of the inductees come back to it, and it, it is a great ceremony, and you can buy tickets to it, and uh, they are gonna, they, they're still going to have it. And uh, like, uh, like Colonel White tells me, bring my own box of Kleenex, and I plan on doing that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's that. And then the other thing, uh, Georgia is becoming quite a, a hub for veteran memorials. And uh, you've got Peachtree Corners that has one. And then also, uh, where I live, Johns Creek, Georgia, has the uh, 50% size of the, and they call it the Healing Wall, which uh, traveled all over the United States. It's a replica of the Vietnam Veteran Wall in Washington, D.C., and we certainly, in Johns Creek, certainly invite you to come out to the Healing Wall. And uh, they'll have a kiosk very soon that'll have all the names computerized. And you can type in a name and find out exactly where that name is on the Healing Wall. And uh, all of these are salutes to our veterans, our heroes, that make today possible for all of the rest of us slackers and uh, I, I certainly include myself in there and we I'm so proud of, of my son I'm so proud of knowing so many veterans and uh, 
If you know a veteran or you know someone that is on active duty and you see them, thank them. That also goes for first responders. Thank them. And if you get a chance, buy them dinner or buy them lunch. And just say thank you for your service to all of us. And they put our first responders and our military put themselves before everything else. They put their country and uh, they put them, you know, they let everything else is more important than they are. And that's just something that uh, is instilled in a, a service, in any service, and certainly goes holds true for first responders they they are there for you we're not here for if we're not here for them then we're making a bad mistake so let's get back to bill and uh what what was uh you mentioned uh uh when you'd get your meals i I hate to even ask what was in those meals well, I jokingly say that we ate Oriental style, and somebody said, what's that? I said, that's a bowl of rice for breakfast, a glass of water for lunch, and swell up for supper. <laughs> but we ate the vegetable of the season, and I always say that I can report that grass grows year-round in Vietnam. So we <laughs> ate, uh, I think we figured out about 115 different varieties of grass or weeds, as we would call it here in the United States. And... and uh, we got an occasional, well, pumpkins grew quite well. We ended up having a pumpkin season where we had pumpkin soup, something side dish, uh, and things of that nature. Um, it, it took me a while to enjoy pumpkin pie again after I got home after oh, having it in a, in, a, in a soup form. But um, then the meat was pretty much non-existent. I, I, somebody said, well, how can you explain that? I said, well, if you took a... a two-and-a-half-pound chicken and cut it up and fed it to 70 people, then you'd, that, you'd know about what your portion would be. And that that was the meat we got. We got two special meals a year. They honored our Christmas, which I find it ironic today that we here in America are trying to stamp our Christmas, and they honored their New Year. In fact, we still have a meeting every year in Atlanta, Georgia, with the POWs in the local area, when I say local area, within a 200-mile radius, we, we get together uh, and somewhere around Tech to, just to reminisce, you might say, together. And uh, But those meals consisted of a little bit larger piece of meat. Uh, it might even present itself with a cup of coffee. or and In fact, one year we got a half a beer, you know, so it, uh, you, you, you would always... Uh, Look forward to it. And, of course, we got a, a Vietnamese uh, a tradition, which is uh, bang chum, which uh, our wives look at us like a bunch of heathens when we sit down and tell them how much we enjoy <laughs> bang chum, which is nothing well but sticky rice with a, with a little bit of meat inside of it and then wrapped in banana leaves. But Wayne Waddell, who you know, is, mm-hmm. uh, always brings some to every meeting we have there in Atlanta there to uh, 57th Friday's restaurant there in mm-hmm. north, north uh, northeast Atlanta. And uh, PD, at PDK. Pardon me? At PDK, Peachtree Cab Airport. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we uh, we, we enjoy getting there. And, and like I said, that, um, you know, food got better towards the end when they, uh, when they uh, we call it the fattening up program. But <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> yeah, so we 
you know, they have allowed us to have a few things towards the end that uh, they didn't want us to look uh, unsettled, you might say. They wanted us um, not to look like an initiation as a, our poor friends from World War II in Korea came home, you know. Uh, and, and so um, they, they did have a little bit of a better food for the last few months. And, uh, and as we always said, the... Uh, more bombing, better food. You know, we, we in other words, uh, when they when they weren't bombing up North Vietnam, we were pretty much almost starving to death. But as soon as they started bombing again, they started bringing in food because they had to prove to us that the, the bombing wasn't hurting them, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> which was good for us, you might say. Sure, sure. But you know, uh, I, I often wondered why we didn't do that. Well, we weren't in the war to win to begin with. And absolutely, we you know we were you know as I, I tell we had many discussions up there about the war and what the conduct of us and and I you know when we said if we weren't speaking uh, if we uh, we weren't surrounded by communism in twenty years in uh, in North America then we won in Vietnam you know and, and it was it was. It was basically Vietnam just happened to be the playground where we were, uh, we took the field as, uh, you know, a pro-democracy and the Russians and the Chinese took the field as anti-us. And, and uh, you know, and luckily they got to fighting among themselves. And, you know, because like I said, Russia would send missiles down through China and China take them out and re-box them and <laughs> send them to the Vietnamese as Chinese products. You know. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, they have one hell of a reboxing program going on. <laughs> uh, I, one, I want to mention your your book, which is um, the longest rescue. And uh, where is that available? It's available on Amazon, and uh, it, it's also in the it's uh, audio dot com. Uh, it's available in audio, and it's, a, it's a, available as as a Kindle. And uh, and whenever I go speak, I also carry copies with me and uh, and. Uh, Happy to sign books that people buy from other places, but uh, yeah, it's uh, Dr. Glenn Robbins is a professor down in Southwest Georgia in Atlanta, uh, uh, America's Georgia, and he and I collaborated on the book, and uh, he did all the hard work, and I, I did. I just I just furnished the Forrest Gump for the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were talking about. Um you were talking about the relabeling by China and or Russia. Did you ever read the uh, Ugly American? I, I read bits and pieces of it. You know, I, I'm just not into negative reading sometimes. But you know, it's. Uh, well, I, I wish I read more. But I, I'm a, have to be honest. I don't read as much as I should. Well, it, it was basically it described the relabeling that uh, Vietnam did when we would send products. And uh, Russia would get them at the port and put the hammer and say, you know, one, they couldn't read Made in the USA or, you know, sent from the USA. So Russia would take the products and everybody knew the hammer and sickle. And they, you know, the Vietnamese thought the products were coming from Russia, not from the United States. And, uh, you know, it was uh, that was part of what the ugly American was about. Right. We yeah, had, uh, we, you know, like, like I said, I, I know, it, you know, we get asked, do we receive anything, you know, and I said, well, the International Red Cross wouldn't get involved because 
Vietnam, even though they had signed a Geneva Agreement, would not adhere to it, so therefore they would not. American Red Cross did send us packages, but we never received them, and they quit when they found them on dead Vietnamese soldiers in South Vietnam. And uh, then they eventually allowed our families to send us a care package, and uh, and probably about 20% of them ever got through, and about 20% of what was in the package ever got through. Okay, well, excuse me. Go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't mean to interrupt your story. And uh, in fact, uh, I'm gonna we're gonna take another break just for a few seconds. And uh, when we get back, I have I promised you that I wouldn't give you any hardballs or ask you any hardball questions. But when we come back, I am going to ask you one, just to, you know, just to clarify a couple of things. But anyway, you're listening to America's Web Radio, and we're honored today to have the longest stay by a NCO, an enlisted man, in the Hanoi Hilton. And uh, I guess you, you went in in 65 and then got out in 73. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And, uh, I I spent 11 calendar years in the Orient. I went to Korea in 63, came back for a month, and went back to uh, Vietnam slash Thailand in April of 65 and came home in February of 73. So I, I logged 11 calendar years in the Orient, and uh, and I qualified for 10 remotes. The Air Force wouldn't give me a long, long tour. <laughs> 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 and uh, and they set you up at the Hilton. What a life! <laughs> yeah, we were we got a dollar a day TDY pay while the folks in South Vietnam got thirty seven fifty a day for their hotel living in Saigon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, you know I tell you I want to like I said I want to remind everybody that this is really brought to you by our good friends at the. Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and uh, our our great friend, he is just, I, I think you would attest to this too, Bill, Rick White is probably one of the nicest men I've ever met in my life, and uh, he he's helped me with the show, and uh, I appreciate what he's done, and uh, on getting us guests like you, Bill, and, and many others that we've had over the over the past couple of years now and uh you know it's just uh it's just great and uh also i want to remind everybody that they uh can go to um the vietnam veterans healing wall in john's creek georgia the hall of fame by the way is in downtown atlanta right across the street from um uh the capitol in the uh, Floyd building, and it's it's a great day adventure to go down there. And the that the Floyd building has a very good restaurant, as a matter of fact, cafeteria, and I like it, and you'll like it as well. So go there, and um, also while you're here, go to Peachtree Corners, their memorial to Vietnam veterans, and then the healing wall that's in Johns Creek. We encourage everybody to go to that, and. Uh, so, with that being said, we've given you places to tour and go in Atlanta, Georgia, and we hope that uh, whether you're a resident of Atlanta or just coming, passing through, that you'll go to those places and uh, and say a little prayer for the folks that have kept America 
America. With that being said, we'll get back with uh, Bill. And, Bill, like I said, I, I've got to ask you one real hardball question, or I'll feel like that I just haven't done my job. And the, <laughs> the question is, can you give me one veteran that can tell just one story? Can I do what now? Can you give me the name of one veteran, Vietnam or Korean or anything else, can tell just one story? Just tell one story? Yeah. I've never <laughs> met one. They all have about 110. <laughs> well, you know, that that's true. You know, like, like I said, we, it's, uh, I can say you know, simply we have the good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, but uh, uh, I want to expand upon what you were talking about, too. You know, uh, uh, Georgia is the home of the POW Museum, which is located in Andersonville, Georgia, just just south of Middle Georgia, there, and uh, uh, where it was a Civil War a POW camp, where quite a few POWs that were held there died over a period of time. But it became early on as a site to honor all prisoners of war from all wars. And we have an event down there annually. It's normally the third weekend in September, honoring the prisoner of war of missing in action families. It's called the Ride Home. And because of the large crowd, they've had to move it to Warner Robins, Georgia, and then they go down to Andersonville a couple of times during that event, but they bring in the traveling wall. And, and uh, we're right now we're up in the areas of where we're going to be able to do the event this year or not, but I'm going to be the guest speaker at... Uh, at Warner Robins or Robins Air Force Base if the event does take place and uh, look forward to being with the uh, former prisoners of war from all wars as well as the POW MIA families that, uh, you know, that, that join us there and uh, and uh, we make a trip down to Andersonville and we're reminded we'll end up having the traveling Vietnam Wall and as well the traveling Georgia Wall is a reminder of those people. In fact, uh, my connection to the wall is on panel 2 east, line 191, is the name of my co-pilot. Mm. So I'll always be remembered. And on the last, I uh, forget what panel it is, is a, a little unknown fellow named Walter Ferguson, who was, was the first one killed the night on December the 18th that led to the freedom and the end of the Vietnam War. He was already scheduled to retire, and he uh, and they said, well, you can go home and retire. And he said, no, I came here to take my brothers home, and I will stay here till they come home. And the first night of the bombing of Hanoi and, and linebacker two, he gave his life for freedoms that I have enjoyed over these years. So it's, and we, we must mention those who made the ultimate sacrifice for what we all believe in. You know, had you ever thought you'd be a Huey Pollock? No, I was the crew chief on our HH-43B rescue pilot, uh, rescue crew, and I joke, let's say we were noted for our twos, too low, too slow for too long. <laughs> 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 but uh, 
my responsibility was to operate the hoist and pick the pilot up off the ground. We had a crew of four, pilot, co-pilot, myself as a crew chief, flight engineer, and a paramedic on board in case of, uh, we had to deal with any injuries. We were essentially with an unarmed airplane. Uh, so you were and, basically, uh, you were a dust-off, right? Pardon me? You were basically a dust-off, or, or you were going after the pilot while the dust-offs were going after the injured, right? Yeah, yeah we, were, we were just, you know, like I said, we were the only ones in the North Vietnam. You know, the, we had no, uh, you know, when coming out of South Vietnam, we did have a couple of rescues from off of Navy ships that came into a certain portion of North Vietnam. But in the beginning, we were the only rescue available. We were out of NKP Thailand where... Johnson was telling nobody, telling everybody there was nobody there. But you know, Johnson was noted for telling lies when the truth would fit better. You know, but <laughs> yep. Well, you know, he, he was a disgrace to Texas, as a matter of fact, my home state. And uh, oh, okay. Well, we have a. I have a book that was written by J. Everett Haley that's. Uh, called a texan looks at lyndon and linson the only person that was worse than lyndon johnson was ladybird johnson and uh, <laughs> well they, when you uh, burn down a courthouse to get elected you, 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 you know you know you're, uh, you're you know you're determined yeah and our uh, the the famous suicide that uh, guy was wrapped in chains had something like 21 Slug in his back, and the sheriff said, "Damnedest suicide I've ever seen." Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, that that's that's some of that stuff. It's amazing, uh, man's capability of committing suicide. But you know, we had one when I lived in Northwest Florida that committed suicide, shot himself five times with a single shot rifle. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's amazing. So uh, let me uh, that brings up something. It's not a nice or not a. Uh, it's just a topic. But uh, were there many suicides in the Hilton? None, as I know of. Wow. You know, uh, you know, I've heard stories about World War Two and in Korea where guys would move over into the corner and will themselves to die, but. Uh, you know, I, I just was not associated with that. And we, uh, you know, was, you know, we we've had a few that uh, that passed away in the prison camp. The Vietnamese would try to label it as uh, as um, natural causes, but we know of, of, of at least five or six of them that the Vietnamese just beat to death. You know, <laughs> and uh, you know, and I said uh, when I. When I got shot down, you know, first I was captured, you know, and like I said, they were just a friendly approach, you know, they, they were curiosity, you know, they, you know, it's it's hard for a man 100 pounds heavier and a foot and a half taller to blend in the neighborhood, so, you know, <laughs> that made it a little tough. But then, then the horn blowers brought in and started broadcasting, next thing you know, the people turned on us, and uh, I went through a mock execution within a few days after being captured, and... Uh, even right down to the hole in the ground and kneeling down in front of it. And, you know, and I, at that time, I, I thought my life was over, and I was just less than a month past my 22nd birthday. But once they lifted me up, I knew that I was going to live, and it just mattered to me how I was going to 
survived that, you know. It was, you know, and uh, you know, like I said, that, um, it took us nine days of um, sightseeing, you might say, blindfolded as we were paraded through different villages and and news of the prep rally. In fact, uh, they took a picture of me three days after I was captured, and they ended up making it into a postage stamp, and they released it in a series of stamps. They released a stamp every. On occasions of every 500 airplanes they shot down over North Vietnam. Of course, mm-hmm. on mine was a, in 67, uh, they claimed to have shot down 2,000 American airplanes over the north. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, they shot, according to them, they shot down 4,100 F-105s. <laughs> and we didn't build but 623 combat models. So <laughs> <laughs> they, they used a little funny math. And not that we didn't, but they did, too. <laughs> After you were captured, how long did it take you to uh, learn the TAP code? Uh, once, once I got exposed to it, you know, I liked it. I, I moved into a little cell, and I knew somebody had been in it before me, so somebody had carved the alphabet in the corner there, and I didn't know what it was, and shortly thereafter... Robbie Reisner was down the hallway from me. He was a senior ranking prisoner at that time, and he he hollered down the hallway, you know, and you know, identifying himself, wondering who I was. And he, he, he was, his first words to me was, "Be prepared to die for your country." And then then he, then he followed up with, "Learn the tap code." And uh, later on, he said, "Return with honor." And uh, you know, they were the first messages I received when I arrived in Hanoi Hilton and uh, you know and, and uh, like I said I set out to learn the, the, cap, uh, the, uh, the cap code and and uh, you know and it, it was a true lifeline because even though you might not be in the cell next to someone you could tap on the wall and he may be three or four cells away but the tapping would go through the wall you know they had tried Morse code, but you know Morse code does not work when you you can get the good tap, but you can't get the scratch. You know the long line, and so uh, and the, the the original code we used was uh, uh, we call it the long code, and A was one tap, and a Z was twenty six. So you could see wow. how the the, the uh, code kind of sped up things quite rapidly. You know and. And uh, we were we used it mostly to check on each other. We 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 were all convinced as as I think the Americans were at that particular time it was going to be a short war. So our most important mission in the beginning was to know who was there, so that if anybody got released, they could identify people. I was very fortunate. In fact, uh, I. I got to write a letter, but they still carried me as missing in action until the Vietnamese released a picture of me in April of '67. So, it was, uh, almost almost two years after my capture, was uh, the Vietnamese owned up to the fact that I was was incarcerated, and you know, and, and some guys' families did not know until the night before we came home. Wow. Oh. They had survived. Did uh, did the Vietnamese ever break the tap code or? Or try, or did they care? Well, thanks to our poor spelling, <laughs> <laughs> abbreviations, uh, uh, we they 
far as we know, they were never able to break the code because you'd be tapping and you'd get a flow in a sentence. And then on the other side, when they identified, uh, you might only put one letter up there and they didn't be identified and they'd give you two taps and you'd move on. And so, you know, it was, it was, it was, uh, scripted and inside of scripted, you might say. Huh. So we were very fortunate that uh, they, they tried to in, intervene at times. They could hear us tapping. They didn't know where it came from. They, they'd start tapping, too, you know. <laughs> but uh, you, you got to the point in the tapping, you could almost feel how a person felt. Was he having a good day or a bad day just from the way he tapped? And so these were important things for us as... We all tried to work on each other's mental health, not that we were psychiatrists or anything in, in that manner, but our goal was not just just to come home ourselves, but to make sure that everybody came home. And, uh, you know, and uh, that was, you know, the, the set goal where, uh, that we all come home together. The love of your brother. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's the thing. We are... We're a very strong group, just like any other group. I'm, I'm here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I'm honored that the Vietnam Veterans of America chapter here is named after me. And uh, I get together with about 300 of my brothers, and, uh, and it's just a, a wonderful to see them come out, you might say. So we've had guys, when we first started the program, I was, they were... You, you would be wondering at six o'clock, and when you have fifteen minutes to six, if anybody's going to show up. And we've been, of course, had to shut down during this period of time. But right now, when we have a meeting, if it's a six o'clock meeting, people show up at four o'clock because they like to be people with people that understand each other. We've been sure. there, done that, and got the T-shirt together. You know, and, the, uh, I'd be a mess so too. Uh, you know, it, uh, the Vietnam era. Uh, veterans are, you know, are certainly all are welcome because, I, you know, we didn't have any choice of our, our assignments. Our assignments were, uh, you know, and, and I and I try to remind those who have served other than Vietnam that you you served your country. You did what your country asked you to do, and you did it to the best of your ability. And that's always required by anyone to make sure that. We do the best we can under the circumstances, you know, and uh, so we yeah. honor all our veterans that, uh, you know, that and, and anybody who wants to come, we, we welcome all comers to, you know, help understand the veterans, you know, and I've, I've, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to speak about my event where a lot of people haven't, and and I get energized from families coming up says. You know, just listening to you talk, I now understand what my Uncle John and Uncle Jim, what they went through and why they wouldn't talk about it. And he, you know, said so you gave me some insight as to uh, to them. And I, I always encourage all veterans to write your memoirs. I don't care whether you tape them or write them, but don't deprive your family of your piece of history. Because all of us now are still scrambling as we look back, and you know, I've, I've had family members that fought on both sides during the, the Civil War. So you know, but we know nothing about them simply because they didn't leave a note for us. And so you know, if you can't speak about it, just write it down so somebody later on can understand what was going on in your head. Uh, that's a very good point, Bill. By the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, and and so many of us get carried away with with uh, 
two guys talking or three guys talking, but during Vietnam was the real introduction. Well, we'd had the introduction in Korea and the introduction even in World War II, but not like we did in Vietnam, and that's the introduction of women and the role that they played in Vietnam. And in many cases, um, some of the guests that we've had on, uh, Donna Rowe and, uh, and others, that flew in the dust-offs just like, just like anybody else did, and they were going out to save the soldier and save Absolutely. another human being. And uh, they were, you know, we had a lot of women that were heroes and still are heroes that uh, served in Nam and now serving uh, our country in many other areas. And uh, I just, like I said, I'd be remiss if I didn't honor them like I honor and salute officers yeah, right. and gentlemen that served in our military. Uh, well, Ben Purcell, who's a ranking person captured in South Vietnam, who's a Georgia native, was a, he was a highest-ranking army officer captured in, in South Vietnam, and he he spoke of the time when they were captured together. They had, I think, three or four females that were captured with them, and, and him and uh, Bingham talked about uh, Bingham talked about one dying in his arms, you know, from malaria or whatever they contracted out there in the jungle. A lot of people don't understand it. You know, the we up north were enjoying luxury accommodations compared <laughs> to those guys in South Vietnam who were living in bamboo cages and whose only hope of survival was to, to be overrun or escape. And uh, some of them did eventually make it to North Vietnam after walking for eight or nine months, and uh, but they were never put into cells with us. We did know that we had one German female, in fact, she just passed away, I can't remember her name, that just passed away this past year, that had, uh, had survived the ordeal in South Vietnam, had walked some thousand miles up to North Vietnam, and, you know, she was there serving side by side with the, our women, throughout our service and, and uh, yes it, uh, they played an important role and and uh, in, and many of the soldiers whose names are on that wall they they, pa- they passed away with a nurse standing over them saying everything was going to be okay yeah and, and so they in fact I was at uh America's Georgia was standing in front of the wall where I spoke, and uh, a gentleman came up to me and he said, I'm here for my uncle because my uncle just could not come to the wall. He said, because so many of those names on the wall died in the back of his helicopter when he was trying to get them to safety and get them help. And I told him, I said, You need to go back and tell your uncle. There were guys here today that survived, and they would love to have the opportunity to just to simply say thank you. And I said, you tell your uncle, don't deprive them of that opportunity. You need to come and stand at the wall. And yeah. said, I did what I could do. You know, I, I, I think 
in so, so many cases of, of uh, folks that we've interviewed, you don't know how deep the best of you is until it's called upon to come out of you. And Vietnam, I think, was one of the the areas that brought the best of the best out of so many guys and women. Uh, and this, this was what was such a shame of when you guys came back that you weren't greeted as heroes like our World War II veterans were and even our Korean heroes. But, well, you know, it was, one thing it was a shame. is I was treated as a hero. Because my group, when we came back on the 12th of February, we represented the end of something that people wanted over. And so we were, we got the fanfare that belonged to so many others. And I've always been humbled at the fact that, you know, the fanfare that was I was shown belonged to somebody else. Those were the real heroes. They were the ones that... <laughs> I remind folks that they came home in the middle of the night. It was all planned by the government so that uh, they wouldn't have to be greeted by protesters, but they were still there. You know, and they and I can't imagine how they felt when they put their feet on American soil for the first time after serving their country honorably. The first message they got was, remove your uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was one of the fortunate ones that got to fly across country with my uniform on, and they had to put theirs in a duffel bag. And yep. if this is anything, you know, is it, that was wrong, wrong, wrong. And I say that, to me, the, the saddest moment, to me, as far as Vietnam is concerned, is when we forgave those who ran before we as a nation stood up and said thank you to those who served. We never even gave our friends from Canada the credit. You know, we like to say that we've sent guys to Canada and hiding from their responsibility. But people don't realize that Canada sent us five times as many real men as we sent them cowards. Hmm. And, uh, you know, we do have brothers from the north that, that... fall along beside us wore our uniforms proudly and and served with us. And so, you know, there was a lot of good people that did all the right things. You know, probably the most difficult time for us was when President Johnson stopped the bombing in North Vietnam to try to get Humpty Dumpty elected and led the American to believe that the war was over. Yeah. That was the first true time we were cut off from the world. Up to that point, we were depended on a new shoot-down to bring us information, some about families and some just basic information, you know, and sometimes we felt like we were plucking chickens trying to get everything out of them, but we did it. But when Johnson stopped the bombing, we went two and a half years without any contact with the outside world. In fact, the way we found out that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, as you remember I mentioned the care packages from our family, mm-hmm. Uh, years ago, you used to have a little pack on the on the uh, restaurant. There was sugar pack on the back side of it. Used to be a piece of history on it. <laughs> and somebody sent a picture of Neil Armstrong stepping off onto the moon on the back of a sugar pack. And that's how we <laughs> found out about it. Of course, we were, like I said, we were completely shut off. So um, we lived in 
pure darkness, you might say, thanks to LBJ and his his group of cronies that uh, you know that when it when it got tough, they just hightailed it out of town. Yeah, and you know they they did leave Jane Fonda around for us to have a word about. <laughs> <laughs> They wouldn't let her get on the bus. <laughs> well, she had, she had to sit on her butt behind the anti-aircraft gun, you know. <laughs> well, uh, you know, as I tell people, you know, there's so much stuff floating around there. I said about her, and my my point has always been that uh, you know, just look at the facts. Yeah. And you know, her wearing their uniform. Uh, there was no notes passed between Jane Fonda and POWs, but she did call us liars and cowards, you know, for not standing up with the Vietnamese people in their struggle for freedom, you know. You know, it's, uh, you know I have had the great pleasure of going back to Vietnam twice. Once I went back in 95 and I met the young lady who was on the stamp with me, and then I went back in 2015. In fact, I jokingly said, I didn't make it. It took me took me fifty years to get to South Vietnam. So <laughs> I didn't make it over until April, uh, you know, to December nineteen sixty five. But I found everything that we were trying to give them fifty years before. They were striving for. So it makes you proud. Every Vietnam veteran should be proud of what the Vietnamese are doing in the South. You know, as I jokingly say, that seven and a half years I wore Vietnamese clothes. And now I'm back to wearing the Vietnamese clothes again. <laughs> ah, well, I tell you what, Bill. Things just turn around, and, you know, and I, I, I know a lot of people said, well, Vietnam this and Vietnam that. And I said, how can we drive around in our German and Japanese automobiles complaining, and Korean automobiles and complain about the Vietnamese and what happened there? We have to realize that life moves on. Bill, we're going to have to uh, put the plug in the jug, I'm afraid. But uh, will you come back and be on again with us? I'll be honored to. Be honored to. Well, it's our honor to to be able to invite you. And thank you for your service. And uh, um, you sound like that uh, three-day program worked out very well for you. It worked out great. I I do appreciate it. I I could not imagine if they'd have handed me a basket with, with... 2,703 pieces of paper and it said when this basket gets empty you can go home. I couldn't imagine that thought at all. Okay. We will uh, we will talk to you again real soon. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You have a great day. You talk too, to sir. you later. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.